Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people, and we ask that you would speak to us today. As we've gathered to worship you, to hear your word, to be reminded of the story that you've invited us into, may we hear how this story has called us to a certain type of life, and may we be challenged to start to live, or to continue to live, or to better live that life. Or maybe just to have more confidence in the life that we're living. May you speak to us today, Lord, and may we hear your word. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Have any of you heard of this new thing called Chat GPT? Has anyone heard about that? I'm not seeing any hands. That's okay. Have you heard of it? So what it is, is it's artificial intelligence that has been given a bunch of information and you ask it a question and it writes like a human. So what's happening is in college classrooms and in high school classrooms, you can take like a writing prompt and put it in and say how many words you want and it will write. And it writes really, really, really well. Now, the problem is it doesn't always write as well as it should if you really know the subject, but for very general things, it does a good job. So, uh, chat uh, GPT was something I thought, okay, I'm going to ask it a question to see what it tells me. So, the question I asked it this week is, what is the good life? And this is what it told me. So, remember, a computer wrote this, and it didn't have a pre-written response. What it did was it took all of the information it's been given and it formulated this response. This is what it said. It said, the concept of the good life varies depending on the individual and their beliefs, values, and culture. In general, the good life can be thought of as a state of well-being, happiness, and fulfillment. It often includes having positive relationships, good health, meaningful work, financial stability, and a sense of purpose or direction. Some people may also associate the good life with spiritual or religious beliefs, but others may focus more on material or, or experiential pursuits. There is no one definitive answer to what the good life is, as it is a personal and subjective concept that can be defined and pursued in many different ways. So now computers write better than humans. That's really well written, and what's interesting about it, and I don't... I'm not too worried about the whole concept of this because they have to give it information. It only can use the information it's given at this point to formulate. And it cannot assess information. So think about if this program decided to go across the whole internet and take every single data point about the good life, it would not be able to assess those points and tell you which ones are more valuable than others. So there's still a human place in all of this. But what this does tell us is the information that this computer was given about the good life is startling in a couple ways. First, it is, the word it uses, it is personal and subjective, which means that each of us get to decide what the good life is. And it's based on our own desires and thoughts, our own preferences. Some of us, it said, might look for a spiritual or religious answer to this question, but others might look to a material or experiential pursuit to this question. So we see that in our culture, the good life is completely subjective. Now this creates some problems. Which good life should we go for? And if we want to live our best life based on what is the good life, well, how do we know what the best life is? 
And how can we say that one person has lived a better life than somebody else? We've always done that, right? We've always looked at people throughout history and held them up as an example of how to live, of how to give your life to something that's meaningful and valuable. Well, can we even do that now if the good life that then leads to our best life is completely subjective? So this is a problem. And today we get to take a look at this problem as we read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So you want to take out your Bible and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It starts here in the Pew Bible on page 1377. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be taking a look at this teaching of Jesus. And we're going to be exploring more about the good life. So before we get to this passage in Matthew, we have to first ask the question, well, where do we define a good life? Because this is where I come from. I think if we're going to talk about the good life, as in the life that we are made to have, a life with purpose and meaning, I think we should look to the one who made us to answer that question. Now that's not what everybody in the world says. A lot of people say, no, you get to decide what's best for your life. And what we have is now all the problems we have in our culture. And all of the challenges that we're facing. And if you're raising a kid right now, you absolutely know exactly what I'm talking about. But I think we look to God for the good life. And so this is what we're told about how we're made. So this is Genesis 1, right at the beginning, page 1 of the Bible. Then God said, let us make mankind or humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then it has this to say in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So from these two passages, we see some really important things about what it means to be human. First, we're created in God's image. And as God's image bearers, we are placed in creation to represent him or to reflect him into creation. That's what it means to be an image. Now, we usually hear that term as idol. In the ancient pagan world, they had idols and temples that represented the God. Well, the reason that we don't have idols is because we are the image of God in creation. We reflect God in creation. But the thing about idols is they actually do go the other way too. They receive the worship of creation and they reflect it to God. And then there's this other piece of what we're supposed to do. Look right here in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God made creation, but he didn't make it as good as it could be. He ordered it and he gave it purpose and he said to us, now you get to be my partners and you get to rule this with me. You get to make it into something beautiful and good and then make it flourish like a garden that you take and cultivate into something that produces fruit and is beautiful. If you even think about the gardens that are more like really, really impressive landscaping, like what gardens were in the ancient world, something like my uncle has done in our, between our, in our uh, courtyard here, took that space and made it something beautiful to enjoy. And that's what we're to do with creation. So I used to tell my uncle when I worked for him, you get to be on the front lines of the creation mandate to make the world a beautiful place. You take something and you make it beautiful. Farmers, you're on the other side of that. You get to take something and grow it into something that flourishes. 
So that's what we're made to do. And what we call this is the royal mandate and the priestly mandate. So we are royal priests. Because we get to rule with God and we intercede with God. Now the only way I can think about this whole intercession idea or this idea of being the middleman is our elected officials. So we have elected officials who we elect, they go to the government to represent us, right? We're supposed to tell them what we want and they are supposed to take that to the government. But the thing about the elected officials is they also go the other way. They bring to us and they represent the government to us. I mean, that's a lot about what campaigns are. Campaigns are political parties who are leading in the government, who are bringing to us a platform that they want to make legislation on. It's a two-way street. So this is what humans are to do in creation. We're to reflect God, and we're to reflect creation's worship back to God. That's our purpose. That's the good life. But the problem is that things fell apart, right? So is it even worth trying to live the good life anymore? Can we? And if we could, why would we want to? Well, when we go to our psalm today, this is what it says here in the first couple of verses. The Lord who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, those who seek or those who walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth for their heart. So what this is saying is for those who do pursue the good life, they actually return to God's presence. Even if they're not trying to. They find themselves there. The reason that we live the good life is because we are made to be with God and we get back to God. And so the good life is about living a life where we get back to God. But here's the problem with that. We ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to live the good life? Or these words here, what does it mean to walk blameless, to do what is righteous, to speak the truth? Well, the only way I can think about this is it's like learning to ride the bike, like learning to ride your bike. Or if you've ever taught someone to ride your bike, you've experienced this firsthand. To teach someone to ride their bike, you have to let go, right? You have to let them pedal and learn. You have to let them fall or catch themselves and get back up. And and finally, it just happens. You pedal, you pedal, you pedal, and you're riding. And we can't really explain it. There isn't an, exa- is an, uh, an explanation that I can explain and that what I feel when I ride a bike. It just it happens. Like, I don't know why I'm balancing. My body just does it. And the same when you swim, right? You teach someone to swim, and, you, and all you can say is you got to go out there, you got to stroke your arms, and you got to kick your legs. But you go out there, and you're trying to swim, and you're doing exactly what they tell you to do, and you sink. But eventually, it's like something clicks, and all of a sudden, your arms and legs are working together, and you start to swim, and it just happens. This is what a good life is like. You can't just tell somebody, these are the things that you do, and they understand it. They have to start to do those things, and eventually, it happens. So the question is, what are we supposed to do? And this is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So this passage from Matthew is Jesus teaching. And we know this is the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned last week, that we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And this is specifically called the Beatitudes. 
Now, what we need to understand about the Beatitudes before we look at them in the Sermon on the Mount is the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus giving um, the world an explanation of what the kingdom's about. He says, I've come to bring the kingdom of God. We just heard that in the first couple chapters of Matthew. And now he's going to say, this is what the kingdom of God is about. These set of teachings in these two chapters are all about the kingdom. So let's take a look at what the kingdom's about. He said, continuing now here in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So these first three beatitudes give us a picture of the kingdom. Now the first thing that we need to talk about is this word blessed. Because that is the hinge for all of these beatitudes. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, there's two things about being blessed that we need to understand. First, blessing under, assumes or incorporates without escape the reality that God does prefer or does bless certain things and he does not bless. Or the way that the Luke, if you read Luke's Beatitudes, it actually has the word cursed, is other types of people. So some people are blessed, some people are cursed. Now that makes us uncomfortable, but this is what we need to acknowledge. God wants us to live a certain life. And a certain life brings God's blessing in his favor and other lives, other types of life, do not. And the second thing that this talks about with blessing is it's not just about the present. Because we're going to hear these people, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke actually says, blessed are the poor. And there's no promise that you're going to always not be poor your whole life. But what these blessings look for is something beyond the present. And we all understand this because if we've all tried to diet, if you've exercised, if you've tried to lower your cholesterol, you know that the decisions you make that aren't always the best are the, what you want to do. They're the best decisions, but they're not the ones we want. I don't know many people who want to exercise as much as you have to to have a healthy heart. Some people love that, but for most of us, it feels like work, at least until you get going. But we know that if we do it, in the end, it will be better for us. That's what the Beatitudes are about. Yes, you will be blessed, maybe not in this life, but you know that there's more to what happens than just this life, and your future will be blessed. And so this is the idea of blessing, that God's favor is on certain people or certain people who live a certain way and that they will eventually be vindicated. Even if it's not now, it will be. And the people that we see in these first three Beatitudes are people who are humbled by their poverty. So poor in spirit or just people who are poor, people who are mourning, and people who are meek. Now in the ancient world, you didn't want to be meek. That was a bad thing. If you read the philosophers, it's about strength and virtue and um, bravery, not meekness. The poor were out of everybody's mind. But Jesus says, no, my kingdom are about these people. Not that these people are blessed because they're poor, but people who are poor, the kingdom cares about. And so what that says to all of us, if we don't consider ourselves poor, what are we supposed to care about too? those people? How do we think about people in poverty? How do we think about people in these situations? 
How do we talk about them when they're not around? Even if we help them, what is our mindset when we're helping? Jesus says that the kingdom is for the poor and they will be blessed. But really what this is getting us in the mindset is if we're not poor, we need to be for those who are. So it's not about us, it's about others. And then there's this second set. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So this group is about people who want to seek justice. Now, if you remember, we talked about justice in the season of Advent. And justice is not just about people who have done wrong things, having fines or having jail time or something. But justice is about the wrongs in the world being made right. So when we seek righteousness, righteousness is what is right. So we hunger for what is right, for what is just, for what is good and ordered, for what God made the world to be, not what the world is. We should want that. The merciful, we recognize that there might be somebody in our life that we have the power over to hold something over them. But we're supposed to be merciful, like God is merciful to us. And even if we have that power, we're supposed to let it go. The pure in heart, those who seek the will of God. And the will of God is for this order and purpose to come back to the world. So we see that the kingdom, again, is pushing us to a life that looks to others, not to ourselves. That's what the kingdom is about. And then this final group. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who persecute because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did I miss the last bit of that? I feel like there's something that's missing there. I just read it poorly. I should have read it like it was the end. So, because of, so rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what Jesus is saying in this last group is, the kingdom is about those who seek just, or not justice, but seek peace. To be peacemakers. The world is in conflict and in chaos. And the kingdom is about making peace. So we seek peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they seek peace. And for those of you who are insulted and falsely, and people say false things about you because you seek peace, he says you are in good company. You are like the prophets before you. Because people don't like peacemakers in the world. Because the world operates on the currency of chaos and power and using it against people. And Jesus says the kingdom is the opposite. Because the kingdom is about others. So for those of us who find ourselves called to this kingdom are called to think about others. And this is where we need to find ourselves in this story. We need to find ourselves in seeing that we've been called. Remember, Jesus called it and he says, I want to renovate you. I want to take you and I want to remake you into the best version of yourself. I want to call you to follow me to live the good life. And the good life leads to your best life. And that best life 
is focused not on you, but on others. The best lives are lived in the service of others. And that's what we know is so true throughout history. The best lives are lived in the service of others. Our world is so deeply steeped in this idea, we don't even realize it. You can go to the most progressive political rally and hear people calling for you to care about other people. Why do we think that is? We could say those people don't want anything to do with Jesus or God. They look at us and they say, you're the people who are the problem. But they still use the words of Jesus. Why is that? Because these words of Jesus are so deeply influential in our mind that we don't realize it. But we still struggle to live that life. The life for others. But the best lives are lived in service of others. So if you want to find the good life, if you want to live your best life, we've got to do it on the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is about following others. So the good life that we are called to live is a life in obedience to God. So that's what it's about there at the beginning. We trust God for the order and purpose of the world. And we say, God, I believe that you made the world with certain structures and that those structures will bring flourishing to the world in life. So I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be obedient to you. And this points back to our calling to be royal priests. Because then what we do is we stand in that place. We take those ideas from God and we reflect them to the world. Which we were supposed to do this as a united people. But now we do it as a divided people. So our job as the kingdom of God, as people who follow Jesus, is to call the rest of our fellow humans to this life. To say, no, there is a life that God wants you to live. And we can show you what it is. And then we say, we're going to take those values of God, that love of creation that comes, the love from creation and God's worship, and we're going to take it back to him, which is what we do on a weekly basis. We lift up to God the, the cry of all of creation because of his love and mercy and beauty and greatness. And this is what we're called to be. People who rule, rule creation and then also reflect God back into creation. And the only way to learn to live this good life is by living it. And we live it by following Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, we see that he calls us to be a part of his kingdom. And we see that his kingdom and its values are simple. They're about putting others first. So when we come to this question of are we living our best life? The clear answer is, what is the best life? The best lives are lived in the service of others. It's that simple. We want to make some things more complex than they are. But when it comes to the way of Jesus, things are simple. The kingdom is for the poor. It's for the humble. It's for those who put others first and seek the peace of the world. And so when it comes to the good life, to find our best life, we need to look no further than to put others, putting others first because the best lives are lived in the service of others. It's that simple, but I know it's hard. And the only thing I tell you is it's like riding a bike or it's like learning to swim or it's like learning any other hard task that you master over a time period. Because I can tell you when Annette started riding her bike this summer, I was nervous that she was going to fall all the time. But now, 
I'm not even worried. When she makes the tight corners around the parsonage, she's going to knock her brother over who's still on training wheels, but she's not going to fall. Because her body is just learned. We have to live and serve others to learn to live and serve others. Now, I sound, that sounds weird, but that's just the way it is. We can't expect it to happen until we do it. Like, we can't expect people to come to church and we can't expect to meet new people who need to hear the word of Jesus until we do it and until we invite them. It's that simple. The best lives are lived in the service of others. So this is my challenge to you this week. Last week I challenged you to read and pray, and I did not ask for a report. I didn't want to put anybody on their spot. And even if you did that, I'm not going to ask you to get up and share with everybody what God said you need to do better. That's between the two of you, of, between you and him. But this week, my challenge is every day, try to do something for somebody else. It doesn't have to be big. It can be small. And they don't even have to know that you did it. Because actually, the best acts of service are the ones that no one knows about. Because that's when we're the most humble. Because we're not doing it to be recognized. We're doing it to show them love and to serve them. The best lives are lived in service to others. So start living your best life and serve others. And as hard as I know it is, next week we get a little bit more from Jesus about how we can learn to do this. About the nitty-gritty details. Because I know every once in a while we have a question, well, this is a really complicated situation. How do I serve this person in this situation? Or, wow, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. How am I supposed to spend my money or what organization should I do this or that for? And next week we get to learn more about what it looks like to lean into God for those decisions. But today it starts with realizing that the best lives are lived in service to others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we ask that you would help us to learn to swim in the way of Jesus. To learn to ride our bikes in the way of Jesus. May we just do it. And as we do it, may we learn more and more of what it looks like to live a life of service. And Lord, may we not do it because it's what we're supposed to do to feel good or because those people need our charity. But may we do it because the kingdom is about that kind of people. It's about people who are in need of help, who have been humiliated or humbled by their situation. And it's for people who want to enter into those people's lives and seek justice and bring peace and to bring your love and hope to the world. And for us to say, you know what? God does want to bless you. And your life might be hard now, but someday it will be better. Let us live like it's better today. And may that be what we start to do as your people, Lord. And as a congregation, may we learn and show us ways that we can do that better to our neighbors and those around us. May we look for ways to not just support those in need, but also to offer a helping hand. And to meet people in our community who need our help and to offer it. May that be our call, Lord, as those who make followers of Jesus who live the way of Jesus. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in your, in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.